Welcome to the What I Meant to Say podcast. I'm your host, Wendy Jones, and I started these conversations because life doesn't give us do-overs. So this is a space where we get a chance to reflect and tell our story again with more grace for ourselves and hopefully make us all better for having listened. Today I'm happy to have episode six and my first podcast back after ankle surgery with my good friend and amazing coach, Ashley Clark. Ashley was a collegiate indoor volleyball player at Cal State Dominguez Hills and has coached all of my kids on some level, two of them on teams that won medals at AAUs and Junior Nationals. What I love most about Ashley as a coach is her ability to hold a high standard and still show compassion for anything an athlete is going through on or off the court. I hope we can use this conversation to frame how her life experience has made her both a better athlete and coach, and I also hope you enjoy Ashley's wisdom and story as much as I have. Okay, I'm so excited to have this conversation (laughs) because we've had so many what I meant to say conversations offline over the last almost 10 years. So Ashley and I have known each other. Uh Oh, I forgot to turn off my phone. Okay. No, no. No more of that. Um, (laughs) We've known each other almost 10 years. Has it been 10 years? I moved here in 2013, and you started coaching Lauren the first year she was a club coach. So, so excited to have Ashley Clark here today for what I meant to say conversation. And um, I've been lucky enough to have you coach really all four of my kids, because you've even given Matthew some beach lessons. And... Starting with the first year we got here, I watched you coach that team when Lauren was 14, and then you coached Luke's 13s team to a bronze medal, and Lauren's, what year did, and then the girls won a gold. gold. AAU gold, yep. So my kids had some really early success with you, and then you got to coach Kate. Yep. And it just has been Watching you over the last 10 years, I've watched how your life story and getting to know you as a friend really influences the way you coach, and it's really super inspiring. So that's why I wanted to have you here today, and thank you for coming. Well, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be able to share my story and share some of the insights of to, as to why I am the way that I am and why I coach the way that I coach. Um, I do have a strong belief that it stems from how I grew up, experiences that I had in and out of sports, um, as well as, you know, as I went through college and had started to identify mentors and people that I recognized good in. Um, So it's a combination of all those things wrapped into one. And I think it's interesting, you know, we've known each other for almost 10 years, but I also had a two and a half year stint where I was in Iowa. So there was a block of time where I kind of, we weren't really talking or seeing each other. So I think you have a, a interesting take in that you saw me before. And then now, you know, me more as a friend, you know, and colleague after I would say. Yeah. Needless to say, Ashley's been like my number two this, um, last week I had ankle surgery about a week ago. I was on the phone with my best friend from high school last night. She's like, what, you're going to do a podcast already. And I was like, the only way to do this is to get back to normal as fast as possible. But Ashley was a lifesaver, even sitting in the ER with my youngest last week, who decided to fall off his skateboard and get seven stitches and hurt his back. Um, so, you know, the gratitude for friendship over the last week, aside from the person who's literally living with me and taking care of me. Yeah. You have been there, and I just think I can't say enough about the type of person and friend that you are, so thank you. You're welcome. It's my pleasure. Yeah. 
My kids are lucky to have you too. So love your kids. With that, (laughs) um, let's go, let's start early. So like early life, athletic experiences, you know, family background. Give me a little insight there. So I'm the oldest of five kids. Um, Me and my three sisters are about 18 months apart. And then my brother, who is the youngest, is five years um, below my youngest sister. So that's about an 11-year age gap between me and my brother. Um, But grew up in a, you know, in a two-parent household. My dad worked construction. My mom worked the night shift at a Ralph's growing up. And the reason that they had that set up was so that my mom could have the benefits through the Ralph's Corporation. And my dad could run his own construction business. Um, So with my parents often switching roles in and out of the house, I was very much so um, the oldest babysitter, the oldest sibling, responsible for making sure that things around the house got done, you know, whether that's dishes after dinner, whether that's making sure homework gets done, um, which we were actually homeschooled um, up until the, my seventh grade year. So uh, my mom was an at-home teacher. So her job during the day was to teach us and, you know, facilitate our education. And then she would go and work the night shift at Ralph's. So Um, you have one, what I hear there, like you have such an amazing example of work ethic from a very young age and a lot was expected of you. Yes, 100%. And, And to be frank, I mean, my mom was a helper and a teacher, but I was responsible for opening the book and reading. You know, like I don't remember ever being in a classroom with my mom and her teaching me stuff. It was more like I was self-taught. I would open the book. I would read whatever it was. If I had questions, I would go ask her. But otherwise, I did it on my own. And interestingly enough, math was the thing I did every day. Wow. I could leave language arts. I could leave the Bible study. I could leave the science. But the math book... Every day I had that open and I wanted to be a math teacher for a long time because of that. Um, But yeah, so I was homeschooled up until about seventh grade. Um, And then I also was very involved with my church. So uh, we were at church at least two times a week, whether it was a Bible study um, or when I got into junior high, high school, it was a youth group. We had a group of homeschool families that would do homeschool field trips and things together. So a lot of times people think that, you know, when they hear that I'm homeschooled or I was, mm-hmm. they, they go, oh, you're normal. You're normal. You don't seem like you're homeschooled. And I said, well, my parents socialized me just the same. I yeah. went to church with kids. We did field trips with kids, you know, and obviously I had four siblings, so it was never. And where were you living at this point? Uh, Hawthorne. Okay. So I was born in Torrance. I lived in Hawthorne up until my sophomore year of high school when my family moved to Bakersfield. Um, and then I moved back down here for college. So, okay. um, yeah, so we were here in Hawthorne. And my seventh grade year, actually, it was about May, April or May of that year, my parents decided that they were going to give us all the home, uh, a chance at public school, see if it was a good fit, see if we could hang, that kind of thing. So we went through, we had the placement test, we tried it out for a month, all of us. So at one point, my parents put all four of us at the time, three or four, whatever it was at that time, um, into public school for a month and a half. And we all loved it. We all loved the only, my biggest complaint was that I had to put on actual clothes instead of be schooling in my pajamas at home. <laughs> it's kind of like COVID life. Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. 
So, um, but and we you know, I, I like your casual vibe. Like I, I jam with that too. So I, I get it. I get it. If you yeah. catch me outside of leggings, it's, yeah. you know, it's a special day. <laughs> totally. Um, you know, but what was interesting to me is as soon as I started going to public school, I immediately had a knack for tutoring friends peers in math specifically okay like I had a friend of mine who was very close to me who was really struggling in math like she was getting a C or a D on average and we used to plan extra time for us to be together and I would teach her because that was the only thing I I taught myself at home every day so I was very familiar with math um you know so ever since that I knew that I was helping people tutoring people teaching people on different levels um and you felt proficient at it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. So it, was, it gave you confidence. It was natural. Yeah. Um, and math was a safe subject for me as well. Um, but I was always involved with sports, too. So growing up, I was, you know, in AYSO soccer, little league softball. Uh, when I was a freshman in high school, I ran track and played volleyball. Sophomore year, I played basketball and volleyball. So kind of all over the map in that way. Um, you know, until I really discovered and fell in love with volleyball and then, and then how old, how old were you? How old were you did that? Um, I was, it was the, my eighth grade year going into, so it was the summer between eighth grade and freshman year. I actually played on an AYSO soccer team with one of the, um, one of the club directors here, um, her name was Carolyn Lawson. She's Uh the owner, was the owner of Surfside. Okay. She was my AYSO soccer coach. Um, my, my eighth grade year, it was my seventh or eighth year playing soccer. I was a goalkeeper cause mm-hmm. I was tall and I could guard the goal. I played other positions too, but, um, but yeah. So one day she goes, you know, you're tall. Do you play volleyball? And I was like, well, no. And she's like, come to my clinics. I'll teach you. So that summer from eighth grade to freshman year, I spent at Surfside clinics learning how to play volleyball. And I tried out for the Maricosta freshman team, um, being from Hawthorne. And I made the team, so I was able to get a school permit, like a cross-town permit to go to Costa on the sole basis that I played volleyball and that I was looking to play volleyball in college because going to like a Hawthorne High, which was down the street from my house, that's not a volleyball program where people get recruited out of. Right. Um, And that's that's something that always amazes me since I've moved to this area. And having a daughter that went to Bishop, they would play teams more inland Mm -hmm. and being seeing the powerhouse that either Redondo or Costa has been pretty much the whole time. I mean, for decades, right. And going five miles that way and realizing how the sport is, there's like nowhere. It's like, it's night and day. And how is that the case? So you're living that, that like that has been something that has occurred to me over and over and over again. When you go over there and you're like, look at all these athletes and, and to this day, I feel like the only reason I was, you know, I was picked on that team because I wasn't very good. I mean, I was I was just beginning. So mm-hmm. I was, in theory, two to three years behind all the kids who live, breathe and eat volleyball from, mm-hmm. you know, age five all the yeah. way up. Yeah. You know, um, it is a prestige. It is a family thing around here. It's a it's a culture. It's a lifestyle here mm-hmm. in the South Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I had no false hope like I knew I was the worst but I'm pretty sure it was just because I was high uh, but my my height I was five I've been 510 since I was you know 14 years old and because I was new they said you know you you seem to have a lot of potential mostly because your your height so they mm-hmm. put me in the middle and I I learned how to play middle and learned how to serve I was a good server 
and took a lot of pride in whatever passing reps I could get. Um, cause I didn't know where the future was going to lead me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that was, I mean, I've been, I was brand new and made one of the best teams, um, one of the best high school teams in the area and sat the bench almost all year. And I remember it. Um, but I also was very aware that I was new mm-hmm. and that I was learning. So I just put 110% into what I could control, serve, right? Mm-hmm. And then do whatever coach says in practice, work my butt off and, you know. So you were a very coachable athlete. I would say so. There was one There was one instance where a coach accused me of not being coachable. Okay. That was um, in Bakersfield. And uh, it was an interesting, it's interesting that this has come up because... I can remember it vividly. There was a drill that we used to do where if we lost, we'd have to do this thing called a suicide. Oh, yeah. And it was, but it was like a minute and 30 where it was like a shuffle step, a karaoke step, running forwards and backwards, and then a full-on sprint at the end. And if Uh you didn't make it, you had to do it again. Uh So when you have this fear, okay, of punishment. Yeah. You also want to just get the job done, whatever that is. Okay. So in that instance, you know, I would do stuff that was not great technique or form. Okay. But it would get the job done so that my team didn't lose and I didn't have to run because I hated running. Like, yeah. When I figured out in I soccer. I think a lot of volleyball places, volleyball players hate running. When I figured <laughs> I out find that, the sport because we hated running at some point. That eighth grade <laughs> year, like when I learned that goalkeepers run as much as the regular field players in You're soccer, like, I, I was I'm like, done. yeah, volleyball sounds good. 30 yeah. by 30 foot square, I'm, do- I'm done. Mm-hmm. Like 100%. And um, so it's just interesting because I played to win. Yeah. Or played not to lose. But then my coach would say, well, you're doing it wrong. You need to get your elbow high or do this. And and my my response was, well, I don't want to run. So how am I supposed to learn how to do this correctly with this constant fear of failing and having to be punished, uh-huh. you know, for making an error when I'm trying to do what you're asking me to do as far as the technique? Right. So moving forward now as a coach, I'm very adamant about different segments in my practices where my athletes know this is your development purpose, like Mm -hmm. portion. You have 10 minutes or whatever the allotment is to know you're loose, whatever you want to do, top spin into the net, top spin out of bounds, like whatever you need to do to develop your skill set right now, you have that. And then there are portions in practice where it is very set in, you know, results oriented. Mm -hmm. You need to win this game, you know, and usually I don't make them run for losing unless it's a poor effort. But to me, that was a, you know, my coach accused me of being uncoachable. And I'm like, well, maybe in that moment it seems like that. And I can put myself in her shoes and I can Mm -hmm. see if an athlete tells me that, how that would make me feel. But also being aware, you know, you look in the mirror and you go, okay, well, is your athlete bringing something to your attention that you need to maybe make some adjustments? Yeah. Because that's not right. If you're asking someone to do something out of their comfort zone. Yeah. Or something that's, you know. Or fear-based. Then you have to give them some room to feel freedom to make those errors and fail a little bit in a safe environment. Yeah. And I think that that's something that I do a really good job of now as a coach And even as a mentor or anybody I hang out with, it's, you know, you have a safe place with me. I don't always agree. I may not always, you know, tell you what you want to hear. But 
I'm going to provide you with what I believe is what's best Mm -hmm. and it provides you with a safe environment that you can learn to fail and learn from that failure and move forward and become more successful. So do you feel like you, I've seen, I've seen it with my own kids, but on, on average, do you feel like that that mentality has cultivated a a place where athletes feel like they can come to you and talk to you? A hundred percent. Um, And that's a big thing I tell parents Mm -hmm. and kids at the beginning of a year, of a season, or even, you know, private lessons is, you know, I say, this is an open communication line. We are on the same page. We are on the same team. Mm -hmm. And in order for us to continue that kind of, you know, facilitate that conversation, you have to be willing and know that I'm open. And, and I tell my kids, you know, I'm open to hear whatever you have to say. Mm -hmm. I may not agree and I may not implement whatever you're asking right but you can always talk to me about it and usually that's an opportunity to get to know them they get to know me and they also gain a little bit more of an understanding because they say you know why are you doing it this way or why wouldn't we do it that way and I can explain that and that's you know the same way I was in college and it's giving them a leadership opportunity too because learning how to speak up speak up and even talk to an authority figure. Yeah. You know, especially I mean, from a vulnerable position if there's something you're not happy with, if there's something that you're feeling you're not good at. Yep. You know, having that place to go and be able to voice that and not have it be shut down or misunderstood is is huge because when a player is met with that understanding, it usually will le- level up their leadership ability. Yeah, 100%. And and that's where you have to give them some autonomy, I feel, and responsibility of, you know, teaching them how to be respectful in the Mm -hmm. questioning, um, you know, how to seek for understanding. This is stuff that I talk about with my leaders with problem solving and conflict resolution, too. Mm -hmm. Like, you approach it to understand the other side more or the other person more. And then how can we come together to move forward as a team? Because that coach player relationship and even when you loop the parents in you are a team trying to get the most out of this athlete or this individual mm-hmm. you know as a you know in a holistically developmental yeah. way yeah and i do think like seeing the behind the scenes of coaching now and realizing at every level that what goes in outside of practice and outside of the tournaments and the, the we were talking about even this morning just like the scouting and the the game planning and the the, the amount of knowledge that you guys have based on your experience with the game that ability to trust that there is always more going on than when a parent shows up on the on the sideline or a a player comes to practice like you're gonna let them in but that you've already been thinking about this like you guys are scouting you guys are paying attention you're talking to people and knowing like watching what's coming and I know that when my kids were playing juniors level, I certainly wasn't doing that. You know, like, I would always love to watch the game come together. And then I started realizing how much was going on behind the scenes. But I think that's something as parents we often miss. To know that that coach is showing up with a game plan and the coach really wants to win. <laughs> I mean, newsflash, right? <laughs> like, we all want to win. We're all competitors. Yep. yep. And it's amazing the care that you put in to know what's coming. And I've seen the care that you have for your athletes. And I think one of the things that I notice the most about you is that you really have an ability to take different types of athletes and, and, and help see where they're coming from and see where you can take them. So 
a little bit like tell me a little bit about I have so I think that that how that has come I mean I've always been a leader Mm -hmm. because of my you know having younger siblings or going into public school um you know but the story that comes to mind and we'll circle back around to this you know I went to college and I was a walk-on so I went to an open tryout the coach said to me you know I don't have a scholarship for you but I like your upside your potential so we're gonna redshirt you and then um you know see what happens said, okay, cool. At that point, I just wanted an opportunity to play in college. I wasn't getting recruited. I'd missed my junior season because the team disbanded and I was not picked up by other teams. And at that time, like 10 years ago, that time junior year was the big club year or was the big recruiting year. So, you know, I didn't get, I didn't So you're out of. So at a volleyball tournament is actually the Las Vegas Classic high school um a high school tournament my mom sat down next to the cal state dominguez hills recruiter that was there okay you know and started kind of asking him questions and he goes well we have an open tryout bring her so i went and he said we don't have a scholarship but we'd love to have you i said okay door open doors open and literally from that first year they knew like there was times where he would call timeouts or he would be in a practice and he would point me out and say like if any of you had half of what ashley has her work ethic her attention to detail like coming into practice on time just the overall commitment and dedication we would be a ton better like to the point where he almost wanted to not redshirt me but also knew that he needed to so that he would have me for four years after the seniors were gone because I was a pretty yes. strong, you know, okay. like rather yeah. than using okay. you now with this group that's out the door, right. I'm going to save you fresh. Okay. So fast forward to like my sophomore year. So red shirt, so freshman, red shirt freshman, I was named a captain. I'd earned an athletic scholarship in addition to my academic scholarship. Uh, and I was a captain. Okay. And my coach, um, Scott Davenport, he's a big oh. AVP coach. FIVB coach. on the beach. Yeah. One of my biggest mentors in the game. Um, okay. And he basically tried to get me to lead in a way that was more male oriented, we'll say. He's a guy, okay. right? So yeah. he's like, you know, men get in each other's faces, grab you by the collar, like get your stuff done or we're going to lose or we're mm-hmm. going to find someone else kind of. And so me being young and new to this leadership in a sports role and I just was like, okay, I'll do it. Well, it got to the point where none of my teammates would follow me because I was so abrasive and so brash with them, even though I was doing exactly what my coach asked. Okay. Okay? Yeah. Like, to the point where they would circle up and stretch and I would be on the outskirts. It was bad. And, and there was two other captains. So we had three captains oh. and I was the one that was left out. Even the other captains were excluding me from stuff. So at the end of that season, my coach sat me down in his office and said, you're doing everything I ask, but your team's not ready to follow you. So you're not going to be a captain going into the spring. And that's a really tough pill to swallow when you're being told that you're doing everything that you need to do, but that you're not going to be in that role. Leadership's important to me. It always has been. So I flipped the script and I said, okay. They don't want to follow me, so I'm just going to do my thing. I'm not going to care about anybody else. I'll still show up early, still get the equipment done, but I'm not going to try to be overtly, like, pleasing, pleasing, or like 
trying to help my teammates, just I'm going to come in and do me because if they don't want to follow me, then I'm not going to help them. They don't want my help. Okay. So one spring day, we were having a crappy practice and he's like, pack up the balls, take down the net. We're going to the track. Volleyball players never want to hear that. (laughs) And it gets worse. Okay. It gets worse. So we go out to the track and there's these big bleachers at the Home Depot Center at this time. Uh And coach says, all right, you guys are going to do bleachers up and down until I say stop again never heard anything worse because there's no no, like it's not 30 minutes it's not 10 times it's whenever he's pleased or probably when we're passed out puking or whatever yeah or someone's sprained an ankle which would have been me right (laughs) (laughs) sorry that's all I ever think about when I hear bleachers so you know 30 minutes later we end the conditioning or the punishment however you Mm -hmm. want to frame it Mm mm-hmm And he finally rips into them and he says, I don't know why you have ostracized Ashley, but she is doing everything I ask. She's the one getting better. She's trying to lead you, but you guys have, you know, like I said, you've put her to the side and you've outcast her. And that same day, they all started to get it. Mm -hmm. So they all started to go, we're sorry for treating you that way. We want you back as our leader. And it was like literally oh. within the next week, I was reinstated and it was back to back to normal and I felt good. But I also had a reset in how I approached people. So I learned through that that you have to be a little bit more of a chameleon with people that you lead, teammates, coworkers, you know, as a coach, your athletes. You have to start to pay attention to how people respond how they speak how they interact with others you know one of my favorite questions is do you have siblings and I Mm. ask them about you know their birth order and how that may affect who they are as people because I know as the oldest in my family I'm very organized very type a I can be controlling Um, I've let go of some of that as I've grown older but you know, if you have an idea of how people are going to respond to you, you can treat people with a little bit more softness, firmness. And I didn't know that mm-hmm. before. It's not a one. Leadership is not a one size fits all proposition. No. Yeah. So going through all of that experience and then reframing my mindset on how to approach people and get the most out of my teammates, you know, allowed me to really develop in that leadership way and I mean it was it was really sad and a tough experience as I went through it but looking back that was the defining moment for me how I learned better to work with people and I mean even to this day at that point it was a little bit too late like I don't have a lot of relationships close relationships with my college teammates Mm. um, because they were not there with the same intentions as me which is a huge gut check as an athlete and in life like and then part of the reason I'm loving what where I'm headed with be better is finding that meaning behind what you do gives you so much inspiration and energy to do it right yeah why are we there like for college athletes a lot of these kids it is such a stressful environment like They are, the pressure on them, the scheduling, the academic pressure, like, I listen to my kids. I mean, it is a lot. And you just have to, you have to have that deeper meaning behind what you're doing or it, you burn out. 
Yeah. And and I did suffer a burnout. I mean, okay. you know, I finished I mean, I gave everything to that program. I mean, I I mean, I helped Scott build it from the ground up. I mean, if you ask him about it today yeah. or you look back at articles that, you know, he was quoted in, mm-hmm. like I was the glue. Yeah. Because of how I learned to lead and then also train other leaders like there's a freshman that came in as I was a senior and it's actually funny how this all comes around because I was Mm -hmm. a middle blocker in middle school and high school and then when I went to college Scott trained me to be a a pin hitter okay but my senior year I got moved back to the middle because he'd finally recruited some freshmen that were going to be better than me I still beat them as an outside hitter in practice yeah but again it was that flip where they right. were freshmen and he needed to invest the in their future future yeah right so but i took it upon myself to start to implement leadership stuff to them so there's a freshman that still anytime i see her you know she'll be like oh my gosh you taught me everything i know and her mom just loves me she gives me hugs she'll message me on facebook and you know and and it was that next class that was able to actually catapult the dominguez hills program into a better situation so the groundwork that we put in for my four years yeah. helped them be better than they were in the previous 20 yeah even though i wasn't a part of it anymore i it still had instilled your, that yeah. in them yeah you know and and that's what mentorship i mean imagine that because i still remember being in the gym and the seniors that like say it was just an open gym and there were no coaches around and when they were mean to you and they weren't think and you felt like you didn't belong and they weren't going to teach you something man you played worse yeah like when you have somebody that you can look up to and then they look back at you and say hey come on let me show you what i know game changer well and and to that point you know as a senior as my coach is putting together these lineups he also started to sense you know some chaos when i wasn't on the floor so he's got Mm. these freshmen now that he's trying to invest in but they can't mentally like wrap their head around a whole match and at that point i could i could do a whole scouting report for every team that we played and all all way all the way down to who's gonna get set and where they're gonna hit the ball and what percentage you guys are my favorite kind of people to sit next to when you can do that i just like to sit and listen i'm still learning at 47 (laughs) i love listening to you guys well learning i mean you learn stuff that you're passionate about and you know so he put me in the middle so that i could be like an on the court coach yeah because that's a primary job for a middle blocker is to say, here's my hitters, here's what they're going to run, look for these things to happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at that point, I was a fifth year because of the red shirt year. And he knew that my leadership was valuable. Yeah, but he knew that he needed to invest. So he put me in the middle. And I was able to teach them, you know, how to see the game in real time, how to apply the scouting reports in real time, because that's a whole nother thing, being able to create a scouting report and then adjust to a scouting report two different things totally um you know and then also teach them how to be a little bit more calm cool and collected like points i wish i would have had a coach that had taught me that like like (laughs) losing five points in a row hey it's fine like we're not gonna get frazzled just pass that hit yeah like find an open spot if they don't you know yeah it's and it's harder now, you know, with everything after COVID and all of the stuff going on in our world, getting the athletes to focus on the right things at the right mm-hmm. time 
has become increasingly more difficult. So you've seen that change since coming back to the gym. One of my friends, one of my friends said that the studies now are saying that kids can only pay attention to one thing for seven minutes. It's a set, a study showing that it's a seven minute attention span. Oh, that's now. so scary. Right. And what do you chalk that up to? Zoom school? Maybe you should social, look that up. Social look media that up. feed? He's about to look yeah, that up. Yeah, yeah. Um, Go for it, Jay. <laughs> you know, and that's, and it's it's crazy to yeah. me that that is possible because, I mean, I'm like, okay, so in a two-hour practice, I need to come up with 15 drills oh that heavens. last seven minutes apiece. Like, you can't get anything no. productive done in seven minutes with no, volleyball. And... and Part of sports is teaching you how to build through and push through that struggle. Because the only time we get into flow is after we have pushed through the struggle that comes before. Right? Mm -hmm. You have to master something to get a skill right, to get your technique down. It takes a lot more than seven minutes. Yeah. Repetition. And whether that's in school or in sports or in life, like it takes focused energy. And if that is draining... I don't know what you found, Jay, but like that is a scary statistic. Yeah. I mean, and I look at myself and I go, well, it's hard for me to sit through a 30 minute show anymore without picking up my phone. phone. Yep. You know, and totally. And but then I can also be aware of it and say, okay, like maybe I need to put right. my phone in the other room so I'm not like, and reaching. And we have your generation and my generation, we have the, we remember when that wasn't an option. Mm-hmm. We have that awareness. Think about all always from the day you were born having that thing in your hand it is absolutely hijacking our minds well and our attention well and i you know when i was a kid and i got my permit to go to costa mm-hmm. you know my parents weren't going to let me have a cell phone okay okay but because i got the permit to go across town they thought that I should have it for practices and Tell me, scheduling. what year did you graduate high school? 2006. Okay. That's when I graduated high okay. school. And, um, and so I remember getting a cell phone and it was, you know, it's that old Nokia one where you, oh, where you yeah. had all the letters and then Snake was on there. It was oh, like yeah. a big game. <laughs> so fun. I yeah. wish they would bring that back. Maybe they, they probably have it somewhere. But <laughs> I left my phone in my backpack one day while I was at track practice and it got stolen. And it, and it's, it's funny that this comes up because my parents, when I told them, you know, I I left it in my backpack where I was supposed to, and it got stolen. And their response to me was, well, you're not getting another one because you were careless or irresponsible. You're like, what was I supposed to do? Like lock it to my, but I didn't get a new phone. And so Mm -hmm. I had to be extra good about communicating and, you know, making sure that they knew my schedule and where I was going to be so they could pick me up or whatever. Mm -hmm. But, you know, you fast forward to now and it's like, these kids are getting phones at like fifth grade and, and if they break it or they lose it, they're They're getting a new one in a week. They can't live without it. And it's like, God, I had to drop Matthew off for a test. And they did not allow cell phones into the test. So you're literally, I'm like, I promise you, it was your dad will be here in the parking lot when you come out. Do not worry. They have this attachment to like, if I don't have this, I don't have the attachment to the person who's going to secure my ride or to keep me safe. And it's like, what a different mentality than the way we would just sit and wait. And it'd be okay. Yeah. And it'd be okay. Yeah. But that doesn't happen anymore. Like yeah. the kids are, I mean, they talk about all the time, oh, my mom took my phone away. Well, what do you need your phone for? Mm-hmm. Like, 
And you certainly don't need it out in the gym. No, it's like, I actually had a parent take away some phones at the dinner table the other night over the weekend. Mm -hmm. And I was like, Oh, play stack the phones. I'm going to start, I'm gonna, I'm gonna start doing that yeah, now because stack the phones. I know that you guys are doing it. So mm-hmm. I'll do it now. Cause, but the kickback be can be, yeah. Yeah. You so, kind of have to build a culture that can do that. They complain, but yeah. you know, they also, it forces them to interact with each other, yeah. which I think is important because without interaction, you don't learn like that psychology and like how to work with others right. so you know although they're all sitting there in a circle individually but they're on their all somewhere phone, else right yeah which again is something else i think in the team environment nowadays is there's a lack of community mm-hmm. and like support i feel because everyone's so individualized mm-hmm. so it's like how do you really make people care about their not only their role but the role of others, like, you know, the kid. How do you make other people better? Not just yourself. Yeah. And that comes back to leadership and identifying people that can step into those roles appropriately, um, or develop into those roles too. Um, and I've seen you do that. I've seen you identify kids and not necessarily like the all-star kid, but the kid who shows that leadership potential. And I've seen you pull them out and, you know, help foster that that you see in them and it's that's it's such a gift it's something i'm passionate about because i feel like we really do have a lack of leadership across the board in our society and leadership doesn't have to be you know one size fits all but you you find the strengths in your kid like in Mm -hmm. the athletes or in your own kids or Mm -hmm. in your coworkers, and you try to invest in that because it builds confidence. It builds a sense of like value, like you're adding to things. I mean, that's one of the worst feelings for me is to like be a clock puncher. Like, oh, I'm just going to show up and do my job. Well, no. How do I add value to this? Mm -hmm. How do I add value to your life as an athlete or a leader or a student Mm -hmm. or a daughter? Like, yeah, all of those things are equally as important. And volleyball is such, or sports in general, is such a unique way to be able to teach that, yeah. you know, that dynamic, the team dynamic, how we work together, um, you know, and then what your strengths and weaknesses are. Because mm-hmm. it's not just developing strengths, it's identifying weaknesses yeah. and learning how to make those weaknesses stronger Yeah. rather than just saying, okay, I'm just going to not be a great passer. So I'm just going to learn how to hit really well. Yeah. Well, no. That's not the right the right mentality. It can be your mentality. That's fine. But if you really want to be a high-level athlete, you need to be, you know, have a growth mindset and be pursuing things that make you better. Yeah, that you're not necessarily the best at right now. Yeah. 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 So um, there's a couple more things I wanted to get at. Um, yeah, go, Jay. The attention span for kids was... was um, before the pandemic was 12 to 18 minutes or something like that for kids of a certain, I guess, preteen to teen. Um, and a lot the study you were talking about, I believe, is still in peer review. Okay. They're, they're still going through it. Um, Psychology Today said that college students, um, their attention span has shrunk mm. to the mentality of a kid who is 10 to 14 years old, which is, I think about, oh. I'm going to double check it, but it's like 18 to 22 minutes. Which so, think about getting through college and the amount of information so, that you yeah. take in. So here's those a years. here's a site. It's, it's it's um 
coronavirus pandemic and it's entitled has a pandemic shortened your attention span for anyone who wants to read more oh, on we'll that. definitely put um, this in the also show the the previous one when they started this was called psychology today so you okay. see the website over there i'm a bl i'll blow it up a little bit that's psychology today and that was from uh -huh. that was the, when they would just started to scratch the surface from um may may let's just say yeah. may, may 2021 yeah so here it is right here, um, what we were talking about. Minute 22, the brain was suddenly turned to jello. This is, this is college students. Oh, wow. um, other studies have found that the attention varies vary 20 minutes or 42 minutes among children who are 10 to 14 years old. So, wow. um, you, um, I haven't found the seven-minute thing, but I will say this. You're on to something. <laughs> <laughs> this and, and, Unfortunately. Yeah. But mean, yeah, uh, we've all seen it. Yeah. Yeah. Jay, do you have... Um, cell phone rules at in your practices like do your girls that you coach have cell phones out in in the gym sorry i just i'm curious absolutely not okay absolutely not no just you keep you um <laughs> you have to treat volleyball and i'll get the camera off me but you have to no, treat no, volleyball like theater like you're gonna go watch a play it, 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 it really it, is. It requires your unconditional attention to have respect for what you're watching and, and what you're yeah. participating in, whether it's an audience member or whether it's a theater performer, right? Yeah. If you're a theater performer, you're not going to stop performing to answer your phone when everybody's right. watching. Yeah. So, so you, you treat volleyball like that. You come from a different angle of respect. And, and then the whole notion of even having your phone with you is, is ludicrous. Yeah, I like that. Scott used to say, leave your baggage at the door. I like Which that. Which includes the phone. Which includes the phone. Yeah, yeah, he would say, like, whatever's going on, you leave it at the door. As soon as you walk in here, it's all volleyball. It's all business, you know. And, and that's something that stuck with me for a long time, even to this day. Yeah. Like, I can block out personal stuff totally. when I'm coaching or playing the sport. Like, so and it's good. the only yeah. thing. It's amazing. And that's something I try to teach so them. Good, what? You're so good at that. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I try to tell them, like, this should be, again, going back to the safe place. Right. Right? This is a safe place that that stuff, it matters, but it doesn't matter right now. Right. Like, and in this moment. what's going to happen in your body in the next two hours? Getting that endorphin release. Getting, I used to always say, oh, I've known that for the longest time. I just mm -hmm. need to go, whether it was swimming or volleyball, it was going to hit the wall. I'm going to go hard. And then whatever's bothering me going in, it's going to look different coming out. Yeah, I had a kid. It, it shifts your perspective. I had a kid that came to see me for like a 740 private lesson the other night. And she comes in and I could tell she was crying in the car. And I was like, what's going on? She goes, I don't want to talk about it. I was like, well, something's going on. You're going to have to tell me something. She goes, oh, I didn't think I was coming tonight, but my mom scheduled me and I have a science test tomorrow mm. and da, 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 da. And I was like, okay. Gave her a hug and I said, here's the deal. You're here now. Your mom left. You're here now. So we're going to put whatever that was in a box. You're not going to think about it. And then when we're done and you go home, you can think about your science. So, you know, we went through the, the lesson and, you know, by the end of it, she was smiling and having yep. a good time again. And I said... I said, do you feel better now? She goes, yeah. I said, now you can go home and you can study your science. And your brain's turned on. And she's like, okay. Yeah. And the next day she comes yeah. back to practice and she goes, coach, coach, I got a B on my test. And da -da. I was like, and, and you yeah. felt okay with that, right? Yeah. She goes, yeah. I said, so what'd you learn? She goes, you know, maybe not to stress about it so much or like just to take things one at a time. That right there, because this phone and the world will tell us 
multitasking is the way and we're always thinking about 20 different things and i i'm going to stress about this while i'm doing this be here now be it's present. that simple be present and look i mean but you like you have to bring it down to their level and you mm -hmm. gave her that opportunity to see and that's always well, what i love about your coaching and to me like a part of that safe environment is allowing them room to be who they are yeah. like in the weak moments in the strong moments like I mean, they say it in church, God meets you wherever you are, right? Yeah. So yeah. not that I'm God, but as a leader, you have to know where to meet people. You have to allow people to be who they are, struggles, you know, and, and, um, and great things alike, you know, and I think that that builds trust and it builds an open communication line. And again, that safe nurturing space where they know Again, like there's expectations, there are standards, but it's okay to have to step back like and do some reflection or understand that. It, I mean, and I've been going through some stuff in my personal life over the last couple months and I've just been asking myself in the mirror, like, what am I learning? What is this supposed to be teaching me? You know, and just, you know, try to do the next best thing. That's what I always say. Like, just do the next right thing. Whatever it Figure is. Figure it out what that thing is one thing and people laugh yeah. when I say like when they ask me oh who do we play or what's this I'm like I don't know I'll tell you on Friday mm -hmm. or I'll tell you on Sunday morning mm -hmm. when we get there and I see who's on the other side of the net like one thing at a time now yes I could easily find out and let that pollute my brain all day of what we're doing on mm -hmm. Sunday but why that causes because, me to be right not present not present and knowing that you have the skill set that when you get to that point you can meet that challenge because of the skills you have in your tool belt yeah. that from all these years of coaching and playing and family leadership yeah. and all of this stuff. Now, the other thing I kind of wanted to get at, and if um, I'm overstepping, let me know, but like one of the things I really, I, I've noticed about myself is I like people that have a little bit of a chip on their shoulder. They're a little bit of the underdog that you know, kind of come at it from a place that's like, hey, I wasn't the popular kid. Like, I wasn't like mm -hmm. that concept of growing up with a little bit of that chip is something I'm very attracted to. Um, and I think it can really lead to really great things. And I've seen that in you. And I'm wondering if you can speak a little bit to why I would notice that chip. Um, yeah, I mean, I think my chip comes from just always trying to pursue my best, but there was, you know, a situation when I was a kid, you know, I mentioned I played AYSO soccer and Little League softball. Okay. And most of those years that I spent playing those sports, I was homeschooled. Okay. So at the time, our Wiseburn Little League, um, you know, did All-Stars by player vote. I'll never forget this. Ooh. Ooh. Okay, by player vote. Yeah, I feel it. Okay, there was four yeah. teams in the league. I was one of the better players in the league. The coaches all said that to me. Um, but I didn't go to public school. So at that point, it was a kind of a popularity contest. There's a girl on my team that got picked because she was the popular kid at school. Right. And she wasn't very good. She wasn't like a right fielder, like didn't do much. But, you know, so the kids all got to vote for the top 10 or whatever. And then the coaches would all get like a grandfather 
you know, okay. vote. The coach, the coach's award. Yeah. <laughs> so I love and, the coach's award. And whereas my coach could have used that to get me yeah. onto the all-star team, there was a lefty pitcher that was throwing at like 45 miles an hour at whatever mm-hmm. that was, 14 years yeah. old, kind of a freak. Yeah. Freak of, like a freak <laughs> athlete, like yeah. in a good way. Yeah. And so I knew, and I don't know how I've been able to have this kind of self-awareness since that, but like I knew that why they chose her over me but the frustrating political piece of not being known, even though I was one of the better athletes, is something that stuck with me for a long time. So, like, that's one of the reasons up until the last few years, even personally, like, I've not paid attention to political stuff in our country, like, to be completely honest, because it turns me off. I don't like the entitlement. I don't like how you pick sides unknowingly. I don't like how it's information's misled or not completely forthright Mm -hmm. you know and even now you know people in this area often you know if you don't have a name or you didn't go to stanford or ucla or you don't have a gold medal you know it takes some like up and coming you have to prove yourself i mean i have a i have a bronze medal at 14 under girls i have a gold medal medal at 15 under girls bronze at 13s boys um and so I've gotten medals as a coach, not as a player, but as a coach I have, but I still kind of get overlooked or I still have questions that come at me about why I make decisions or what my philosophies are. And I'm perfectly forthright with them, with mm-hmm. everything. Like, these are the things I believe in. These, This is how I run my teams. You know, and the word that I like to use a lot is integrity. Mm-hmm. You know, to me, politics and integrity do not go hand in hand. They are actually opposites right it does feel that way a lot so that's in a lot of given environments it's it's whether we're talking national scene we're talking club volleyball scene we're talking they're just i I totally agree with you and i get that you know everybody has a different like course of life that's brought them to their perspectives and i i will always say politics is part of politics is your life story yeah that plays into your politics however so i I agree with that and I can relate to that, but you know, at the end of the day, like there are things that are better than others that are the right versus the wrong. Mm -hmm. And to me, like just showing up to a tryout because you have a certain name and you're going to make the team is not one of those situations or, oh, just because your dad has more money than, you know, the next kid, like to me, you should be rewarded based on your work ethic, based on what yeah. you earn, based on merit. It's not, oh, it was given to you because your family is rich or because your name, you know, belongs in this volleyball yeah, world. Because some generation before you did something that, and really that handicaps the kid. Because to think that you are expected to live up to whatever was done by somebody else who came before you robs you of your own path, for one. And then it leaves, what I see a lot of times is it leaves this sense of proving and this void in a, in a child who hasn't yet found what they're good at and mm-hmm. what they're, how to, how to grind and like understand that like you're not good before you are good. Right. Right. No or, one... or if you're in that situation and your kid is just being handed everything because of their name or because of whatever prestige, what is that teaching them about life? Yeah. Like that things are just going to get handed to you when they're rough or if you complain, yeah. you're going to get oh, things that you want off. or, yeah. you know, whatever. Like 
do I think people need to be punished all the time for not doing the right thing? Maybe not. Like n- now yeah. s- new school, it's like you don't make kids run because they lost. Like you have to make kids run because they're not following instructions or because they're not working hard. Mm-hmm. But that's like old school. Nowadays, it's like it's more about the mentality. What yeah. can I get to click in your brain differently to mm-hmm. make you see the big picture Yeah. or how this instance, you know, one of my friends tells me that the, the biggest thing leaders can do is show you what you need to do without them even knowing, right? Like mm-hmm. show them what they need or what they want without them, know, without them realizing, Yeah. you yeah. know? Yeah. And so it's just very interesting to me, but it, it, I mean, it goes back to that from a young age. I have always been, I mean, I was a late bloomer with volleyball too, starting, yeah. you know, eighth grade to ninth grade. I played one year at Costa and then my family moved to Bakersfield and, you know, I actually had an opportunity entitlement-esque where I practiced with the varsity team because I was from Southern California, because I played at Costa. They're like, oh, she's, she's good. got it. Yeah. yeah. And then I spent the two weeks with the varsity squad and the coach goes, well, you know, you could move down to JV and you could play or you could be on the varsity squad and maybe not play as much. And I chose to be on the varsity squad and sit the bench. Mm. We ended up getting a Central Valley Championship ring that year, which was cool. That was huge. But I always knew that if I played up or played with the more talented players that I would increase faster. Yeah. Because of my work ethic, because of my attention to detail, because of my dedication, I would be able to learn faster and retain faster. So you chose to be the small fish in the big pond rather than be the big fish in the small pond. Yep. And then I did it again at college when I walked on. And I was a non-starter, no athletic scholarship, and I earned it. I earned it all. Huge. Yeah. Um, For your club in your high school, how much did coaching have to do with that? For club in high school? As far as... As far as... Um, like being in the big ocean with the, with the big sharks as opposed to being the big fish in a little pond. Did, did the coaching staff on the varsity team, um, is, that, oh, the kind, is the that the kind of coaching you wanted as opposed to just going, the other, on, going with the other team and just getting more touches? How much, no, how much did the coach come into play? Not at all. For me, it was purely understanding that for me to level up my game as fast as possible, I needed to be playing with the best athletes in the gym. There you go. And the coach, I mean, and and actually looking back, that coach now, if I went back to the high school and said hi to her, like we would have a good relationship. But I didn't like her when I was an Mm -hmm. athlete because of the story I shared earlier about her calling me out about not being coachable and things like that. Um, You know, but that's part also as you develop as a coach or as a human, you take snippets of things that you like or dislike or how you mold them into your own. Um, but yeah, no, it wasn't coaching for me. It was, I knew I needed to be playing with the best athletes or the best volleyball players. Yeah. And, and that's not a comfortable situation. And I wonder how many kids today would choose that because it's a very uncomfortable place to be the 13th man. I don't know. I don't know know how many kids. I don't see a lot of kids making that choice. Yeah. There's there's a few. I mean, I have a 13th kid. And we are in a very highly competitive environment, that being said. I did not grow up. Like, the kids around here think they're not good at 13, 14. And it's like, dude, you haven't even scratched the surface. So it's hard because there is that that level of, of play going on. Yeah. But so maybe the opportunity is not there as often either. But that's a big choice. But that's but, a lot of removing your ego from 
a situation to make you a better athlete. Well, and when you look at the scope of club around these parts, right, South Bay, you have a ton of teams, Mm -hmm. but the talent or the best players are all dispersed to different clubs. And so therefore, there's no... I mean, we, there's no all-star team. There is one or two strong teams that uh-huh. usually funnel the best players. But if there was one club, the premier club in the South Bay, and all the best players really fought for those coveted 12 spots, like Oof. Southern California would win a gold medal every single year, yeah. like whatever club that was. But everybody's got their own ego, and most kids now don't want a challenge like they'll leave a top 10 or a top five team because they were not getting playing time and go somewhere else where they're going to start but then not be as good because they want to start and have playing time Mm -hmm. like it goes back to the question um that you know i've asked athletes to get to know them like part of a recruiting questionnaire Mm -hmm. would you rather be the worst player on a national championship team or the best player on a bad team and how do your athletes answer that most often? Most of them want to be the player on the bad team. Wow. Because they don't understand. Oh. Like, because to me, I look at it and I go, well, I want to be the worst player on the best team because I know if I work hard and I pay attention that I'm going to be able to get on that starting court. I don't look at it and go, well, I'm never going to play. Yeah. I go, well, I'm going to so, earn my stuff. So it's mindset. Right, right. Yeah. And if I'm the best player on a bad team, like even then... You know, I'm going to level them up to try to catch yeah. up to where I'm at yeah. and bring them up. And then I'm going to know that I'm building leadership and I'm building my game. But so either way, but most people won't, they won't stand up to the challenge. So uh-huh. you see that like yeah. kids yeah. jumping from club to club because they don't like their role. And instead of just trying to earn it yeah. and just being the best, they go find somewhere else that's a potentially better fit. But really, mm-hmm. is it a better fit or are you running from the challenge? Yeah, it's a very good question to ask. So. I think the false dichotomy of you, you're, you, you have to be the worst person on the best team or the best person on the worst team um, poses the question. But once the question is posed, you have, you have to allow room for that big gray area in the middle. Mm-hmm. All mm-hmm. right. I just told you um, I had um, Sharif on the podcast from Qatar. He does. They don't do training groups. They don't. They don't. They. They will not move somewhere and stay somewhere. They'll visit and they'll test their metal on this and that because if if you have the right coaching situation and mm-hmm. it, uh, you have more touches, you have more repetitions. Um, you're probably better served not being in that group. Yep. So, I. I we we collectively, everyone sitting in this room appreciates the dichotomy of of, of best best of the worst. Yeah. Or worst of the best uh, as an introductory in the conversation. But we as coaches and all of us collectively have to be really careful to not um, end the conversation there. Yeah. From the beginning to the end of that journey of that, that dichotomy mm-hmm. can change really quick into a false dichotomy if, we, if you don't address this huge gray area in the middle where, by the way, the other 19 kids exist between yeah, the two kids you're talking about. And well, that goes to that. I'm, I'm, it's, it's, it also made me think about that... <laughs> the sense of community that you can get within a team that stays together. Mm-hmm. I mean, Luke had an incredible run yep. with a team that sticks together. And what you lose in that hopping, looking for your ideal situation, you're losing friendships. Yep. You're losing continuity. You know, 
coaching style, learning, you know, if there's a philosophy that runs through a club, there's Mm -hmm. so many things that play into what your experience is outside of winning, losing and being on the court. Now, yes, all of that is important. Mm -hmm. But man, when it goes away, and you get further down the road, what do you really remember? Like, not everybody, I've been blown away by the opportunities my kids have had and where they've gotten to. But I still love, Mm -hmm. but I have none of that and love this sport more than, like, my kids know. I'm like, I had one that quit, and in the end, I said, look, you are not breaking my heart. What would break my heart is if you came in and said, Mom, you can't play anymore. Okay, that's how much I love it. And I never had any of this stuff. I know I love watching my kids do what they do. It's awesome as a parent. But there is all of that in the 19 in in the middle. Like, who are you on that court? And I think like, to your point, I've been on both ends of that spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. So as a late bloomer, I was the worst on my team, you know, up until I basically was a captain and a starter my sophomore year. So that's like five to six years of development where I was like, always grinding. And then I was the go to taking a 1000 swings in a season, most terminal player. And, but you know, that allows me to have some perspective as a coach and understanding like, again, it's not just those two extremes, but there is a slew of people in the middle. And again, like each of them bring to the table strengths of their own and weaknesses. So how can you use them all individually? You know, like, for an example, I have a kid on my team who exhibits some leadership abilities. And I asked her if she wants to lead and she said, yeah, you know, but her best quality right now is that she's super energetic and happy all the time. So I gave her this, this role called vibe check. And I told her, anytime I say the words vibe check, you have full reign to do whatever you want to do. You can do cartwheels, backflips. She was a cheerleader. So I was like, whatever you want to do, hands up, whatever you want. And I've done it once so far. They've been pretty good, even keel with their mentality, but um, you know, and she just screamed loud pitch and everybody started laughing. And I mean, it maybe wasn't the best thing in the moment, but it made everybody laugh uh-huh. and it was what it was. So, you know, or giving, you know, also the other thing I try to do is tell like whether it's the worst player or somebody in the middle, Hey, you need to be working on this. Like, this is what's going to level you up. And then also B, this is what's going to help your team level up. So they always have something that they're thinking about in response to them as an individual and their role on the team. Mm -hmm. That's huge. And I think when you spend time doing that, some conversations last a minute, some last five, some are 30 seconds. But when you have that, they're consistently on a path to improvement Mm -hmm. and like paying attention, excuse me, to what they're doing Yeah, a little bit more than just being like just a fish in the pond or a player on the team. Or in their own head about their own one little thing that they did right or wrong. Yeah. Yeah. But that's something that, you know, I wish is a more, maybe I should start putting it into my like parent meeting to explain Mm -hmm. like I've been on both sides. Like, yeah. And I've made tough choices where I'm still, you know, the least experienced player is the words I like Mm -hmm. to use. And, you know, situations where I've been the most. Yeah. Both of those things, though, have taught me different perspectives, Mm -hmm. you know, and my desire to lead, you know, I put those things together and I really am able to come up with a formula that I think, you know, you've seen work. Um, 
you know, relationally and, you know, with sports. Um, yeah. So. Well, I mean, this conversation is so awesome. And I, I think I just, there's one more thing that I've seen you do really well that I think is really important out there before we close it up. But um, <laughs> compassion. I've seen you cultivate compassion within teams. And I think as through, through what the world's coming through right now, through the adage that you never know what's going on in someone's life, like there's always more going on than you know. I've seen you take certain players who either could be gifted players, but have something going on in their life or have, you know, a learning challenge or whatever that might be. And I've seen you cultivate compassion amongst your players. And that, like, it gives me chills to say it because I think it is so, so important because it allows these athletes to thrive. What are some of the things that you've done in that? Um... I mean, the biggest thing, I think the first step is establishing the open communication lines. So, you know, whereas I ask my kids to be honest with me about, you know, what's going on in their lives, like, you know, I mean, and some aren't comfortable with sharing every little tidbit, but even just as much as like, I had a bad day at school today, so I'm just not feeling great. I mean, I do the same thing. So if I've had a rough day or I've been crying or whatever, I come into the gym and I say, look, like... I'm going to be honest with you, just like I expect you to be honest with me, not having a great day. So if I'm a little bit on edge or if I don't say a lot, like it's not that I'm mad at you, but this is where this is where I'm at today. I'm sure like it would be great if you guys could help me out of it, which usually they do because that's what I love. And and they they step up. They go, okay, coach is not feeling great. We're going to, you know, whether it's conscious or subconscious, they usually can Mm -hmm. do a good job. So modeling. Modeling. Um, The other thing I think is taking the time to do those one-on-one check-ins with certain people because the more you check in with them the more you learn the more they'll start to talk the more that they trust you um identifying leaders you know some of those situations where i've had like a potential learning disability or learning challenge or somebody who's you know the last player on the team the 13th player we'll call them that isn't going to be a lot of like get a lot of playing time or whatever because she's developing or he's developing um but making sure that they feel valued or getting other people you know like i'll tell my captains hey you know we need to make sure that so and so feels like they're included Mm -hmm. they need to feel like they're a part of this even though you know they're not getting as much playing time as Mm -hmm. the next person and and then identifying certain characteristics. I think this is the biggest one. Identifying characteristics in your players that can assist the ones who have a need. Mm-hmm. And and usually it's somebody who is more understanding of others or yeah. has a personality that just doesn't care who EQ. they are. Yeah. Yeah. And you and you kind of tell them the the basics. Like, hey, this person needs. A, B, and C. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could be really good at helping facilitate that. And so they, again, they take that as a leadership role. They take it as a responsibility. And then it's something that me as a coach can observe and then adjust and tweak as as it's required mm-hmm. to the point where, you know, the kids will eventually speak up to the team and show them 
you know, like we had a conversation last year and on my team and I knew, you know, what one of the kids was going through and one of my captains did. And I was like, here's, I need your help. Like just make her feel included. If she's having questions or slow understanding, like just kind of feed, like feed her information. And, um, and it got to a point where there was some misunderstanding from the rest of the group. So we kind of sat down and started talking about it as a team and, you know, and someone made a comment about this athlete and I, and I looked at her and I said, would you like to share why that's so important to you? It was like, oh, I really appreciate so-and-so telling me this and this and this. Mm-hmm. I said, can you share with everybody why that sticks out to you? Mm-hmm. Now, and that's a question. It's posed yeah, as a question. Right. And so this kid speaks up and she, you know, kind of gives the team her background. Yeah. And so that kid now is speaking on something she's never spoken of on herself before. And now the team is understanding, oh, that's what potentially has been the disconnect here. It's like there's a reason Mm -hmm. why she says certain things or behaves a certain way, but it's not for a lack of effort or a lack of paying attention or care. It's literally a, a lack of ability in that moment or for that structure of activities Mm -hmm. or sequence of activities and so often i've found that creating those environments is what allows that nervous system to come down and create that moment where that player feels safe enough to share yeah and that is so huge because that's where sports becomes part of their bigger development Mm -hmm. and that's in the end I will always say, no matter what the scholarships are and how me- no matter how fun it is to watch number one take on number two and see championships and medals and cups and all of those things won, what we learn on the court when we're juniors will take us out and teach us for the rest of our lives. And so, you know, you are like, you've, I've just seen you be such a gem of a coach. Um, through better and worse and with all different levels of, of players and ages and, you know, skills. And I just want to say like, I'm so, uh, I always tell you, I'm, I, ha- I always end up sounding like a mom, but I'm so proud of you. <laughs> and I'm so, lo- I'm so grateful to have you as a friend, but to watch you coach is just one of my favorite things to do. So thank I you. really, um, I guess I know I want to give you the chance to, if you have one, what I meant to say moment, if you want to put that out there. Plus, um, on the yeah. Instagram. Plus oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll, I will. Yeah, thank you. Um, you know, I usually say what's on my mind pretty, mm-hmm. pretty upfront. And I do love that about you. You know, I, I, to the point where I often am, can people, you know, accuse me of being abrasive or brash or harsh. And, you know, so I have to go back and say, you know, what I meant to say that how I said it, you know, is different or how we got to that conversation is a little bit different, but Uh you know, there was, you you know, my first year at SCVC when I started coaching there after about three years at the other at triumph, um, I had an athlete who was suffering from some knee pain and Mm -hmm. she was a little bit overweight. So this is, you know, seven years ago. Okay. A little bit overweight, and I had been in those shoes. Like, I, at my freshman year after I redshirted, I'd gained the freshman 15, and my coach sat me in the office and said, hey, if you don't lose 15 pounds, you will never start. So I said, okay, what's the, what's the plan? He put me on a diet. I joined the track team in the offseason, 
So and you responded to that. Kind I would, of, yeah, I was yeah. like, I'm done. Uh, yeah, okay. I mean, it was hard. I don't like. No one likes to be called fat yeah. or like tell you you need to lose weight. I yeah. mean, let's be honest. Nobody right. likes that. No. But I was. But this is my goal, and this is how I can get there. So and another fun fact: I was a dual sport athlete. I ran track and volleyball in college. Rockstar. Um, but so fast forward, I have this kid suffering from these knee problems, and you know approached her in a conversation she had ice on her knees at a practice and something along the lines of like you know if this is something that you really want to do maybe we should think about doing some nutrition or some extra workouts because that will help alleviate some of that that knee stress that you're having I mean your knees carry all of your weight Mm -hmm. you know I mean even just picking up two five pound dumbbells and walking up the stairs is more difficult than your your body weight and the player ended up quitting my team that year Um, so, you know, what I meant to say, I feel like the message was right. I feel like it came from the right place, but I feel like maybe I could have asked for an opening, Mm -hmm. you know, like, would you be open to having a conversation about nutrition and overall physical, you know, wellness? Uh And then go into it. Because if the answer is no, then I don't even have to go down that route and deal with the quitting and then the stuff with the boss and stuff like that. Which it was not a big deal. Yeah. You know, it's a difference of opinions. Yeah. And that, but that's a, you know, that is another thing I've always loved about you is is that ability to to reflect. Yeah. And, you know, so looking back on it, it's, you know, maybe I should have just asked a question first. Like, would you be open to this conversation? Mm Because I, where my heart was in the right place. It was going to benefit the athlete. Um, but if she wasn't ready to hear it, mm-hmm. you know, and that I was younger then, so a little less experienced. But if I would have asked, she right. would have been more open and maybe she would have stayed on the team yeah. or felt a little bit more compassion and care if I would have asked if she was ready rather than kind of dictate it. Mm-hmm. Um, I see where you're coming from on that. But again, you know, I'd been in that shoe and I wanted – and I and wanted yet, to play. And, and I was a great like, okay. example of everybody's going to re- respond differently. To, so if you ask the question yeah. to preface the conversation, then you will save your butt more often than I think you'll, you know, get burned. But, yeah. Um, but yeah, okay. that would probably be. Yeah. But mostly I speak my truth. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and people that work with me know that, yeah. you know, you're not going to get anything but honest with me or from me. Mm-hmm. You know, it may be rough to hear or tough to hear, but I'm always honest. And then you always know where I stand. Yeah. And, and that's huge. As a matter of trust, that is huge. I think so. That's how you yeah. build trust, being yeah. honest and following through. Yeah. And that's a big thing for me. Like, I want to trust the people I work for. I want to trust the people I work with. And again, you know, I want my athletes to trust me too. Yeah. So in order for them to build trust, you know, it's it happens over time as you tell them truth and they see the truth, right? Yeah. They start Words to and trust. Actions. Yeah. Um, but... But yeah, just being honest and forthright, I think, is a big deal. Mm -hmm. Well, the other thing is you are an amazing technical volleyball coach. So going to what Jason was saying, like, where can people find you? Um, Highly recommend training with Ashley. She is a rock star. So I love doing private lessons and groups. Um, My Instagram is at Coach Ashley C., um, I currently coach for SCVC. I have a 15s team and a 14s team. Um, you can find me for private lessons at CPA facility. Boys or girls? Girls. Girls, 15s and 14s. Um, mm-hmm. I coach 
She's done both because she I've coached done, Luke. No, no. Yeah, when I yeah. met her, it was boys. Uh-huh. It was, yeah. yes. Um, I was doing evolution or something. I coached boys, um, again, the year before COVID. We didn't like, even get into, into that, COVID. like the differences between coaching boys and girls. That could be a whole nother episode. A whole nother. <laughs> Let's get <laughs> so, into that. That's yeah. a fun conversation. So back, but back to where we can find you. Yeah, at, at Coach Ashley C on Instagram, CPA facility for private lessons and classes. Um and then right now I'm at I'm at SCVC for coaching girls. Um, awesome. And I'm I'm loving it. It's okay. a it's a challenge. New year, new challenges, new groups. But um, post pandemic, you know all that stuff. But it's learning, you yeah. know. And if you can be self aware, and you can have you know the strength and the vulnerability vulnerability to look in the mirror, and do reflection. To me, like coaches should always be learning. Like if you're not learning as a coach, then you should just stop coaching because as kids grow, as the time evolves, every like things change. Things are different now than they were when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, we didn't have a libero when I was a player. Right? Yeah. I mean, when I went to college, they were playing sets to 30 instead of 25 still. Oh my gosh. You know? Yeah. So to me, coaches need to be learning. They need to be self-aware. They need to be, you know, trusting and trusted. Um but yeah. Well, thank you for being all those things. And thanks for being here and for the friend you are to me and all the help and for all the things that are to come. So this was a great conversation, uh, what I meant to say. And you can come check us out at BeBetterWithWendyJones.com. And Ashley and I are going to be doing great things in the future. Yes, yes, yes. Thanks for joining us for the What I Meant to Say podcast. For more real conversations like this one, come on over to the Be Better community at www.BeBetterWithWendyJones.com, a place for athletes and parents to grow and find meaning behind what we do every day so that we can be strong on our own and better together.